Hey, today's a great day. Uh, got a friend of mine here to minister, and you are going to love it. Uh, Pastor Paul Benger is a great friend of mine. Chesterfield, England is where he's from. In my last few trips to England, I've been in his church and preached for their church, uh, preached at their uh, yearly conference one year, and we just developed a, a great friendship, and we're thrilled to have him with us today. Uh, Pastor Paul, uh, actually, their church started two years before ours, so they're now 32 years old. So any advice that I need uh, coming down the road, I just go to him, and he'll be able to fix it all up. But uh, what I love about uh, Paul Benger, Paul and his wife Jeannie are making such an impact, not just with their church in their location, but uh, they have started several sites for their church. Uh, they've got four sites going, about ready to start a fifth site um, for their church, just trying to reach people for Jesus, just trying to plant life-giving church all over the world. Hey, listen, if you're trying, you're my friend. <laughs> if you're giving it an effort, I say yay to you. And they're doing a fantastic job. He is involved in leadership development in a lot of different settings, uh, helping uh, Christianity move forward in England, which is not as prevalent as you would find it in the States for sure. So we are super blessed to have Pastor Paul Benger all the way from England here with us today. Would you stand to your feet, please, and welcome my good friend. Some people are cheering over here before they've heard the message. I think that's good. That's good. Hey, stay stood just for a second because I'll, in a moment I want to pray. But I, I really want to say, first of all, Pastor Kirk and Pastor Suzette, thank you so much for having me with you. And we've loved you coming. And uh, like we made a deal at the end of the first service, they're both going to come next time to England and we're going to seal that deal um, over lunch, which is fantastic. But also, I love 30 years fresh. And, uh, you know, I, I am Pastor Appreciation Month. You know, it, it's one thing to keep going. It's another thing to keep going fresh. And it's another thing to keep coming back fresh. So I want to stand with you and appreciate your pastors for 30 years of ministry. Woo, come on. Come on, lift that cheer. Come on. Come on. And 30 years fresh. Hey, and the best is yet to come. Come on, if you believe it, take your seats and get ready for the Word of God. Well, I, the title of my message is, You Are Not the Underdog. You Are Not the Underdog. And I'm talking today about how we can bring our boldest self to our biggest challenges. But I want to start with a confession. And I don't think it's a sinful confession, but who knows, but it's a confession. And it's this, that I normally don't root for the underdog. I, I, I don't know why it is, I've tried to examine it in myself, but I normally root for the favorite. And, and I normally want the favorite to win. You know, and it's almost like there's something in me that says, you know, if that team or that thing is better than that, then that should win. Now, I, like, I can tell you're not with me. 
because you're all Brits, because the Brits, we love the giant killer. We love to root for the underdog. But I, I don't know why it is, but I've always been this way. I've always been this way, that if that team is in a higher league than that team, that team should win. And, uh, and I want that to happen. However, there are some exceptions. I follow a soccer team called Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They won today. Uh, but, you know, sometimes I'm rooting for the underdog. Uh, I, there's another soccer team in the town I was born, Mansfield Town. And I know you all saying, who's that? <laughs> exactly. So I root for them, the underdog. My favorite tennis player is Rafael Nadal. And uh, very rarely, but occasionally, Nadal will come up against Federer and Djokovic when Federer and Djokovic are playing well, and I'm rooting for the underdog. I've got this American football team I follow, and I find myself rooting for the underdog a lot, Carolina Panthers. Oh. Uh. There's a lot of preachers in this room right now. That's good. That's good. I want to take you to an Old Testament story, but I'm going to tell you this story like you've never heard it before. It's a familiar story, but you've never heard it this way before. I want to take you to a place called the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is a valley that runs kind of from the west coast of Israel towards Jerusalem. And um, it, it stretches from the coast towards Jerusalem, and it has ridges, hills, mountains on both sides. And it's famous for two reasons, really. It's famous because it's a pathway to Jerusalem, so it's an important trade route. That's an important route for people coming in to get to the capital city, etc. And it's been that way for thousands of years. But also it's important and famous because many battles have been fought there. And of course, the most famous battle, and the one we all know about, the one we're going to think about today, is the battle between David and Goliath. And I'm going to tell that story today, but I'm going to tell it like you've never heard it before. 3,000 years ago, the Philistines, who were a people from Crete, decided to invade Israel. And once they were in Israel, they decided we need to move towards Jerusalem because we want the whole land. We want to take over the whole land, and we want to take the capital city. The Philistines were a fighting people, a people skilled in war, and the Israelites were not familiar with war at all. But as they're moving towards Jerusalem across this valley, King Saul raises an army. And he raises an army and he comes out to meet them and he says, no far, so far and no further. How many of you know that sometimes when an enemy is advancing in your life that you have to say, so far and no further? You have to step forward and meet that enemy and say, that's far enough, let's hold this here. And so what happens is that the Israelites end up camped on one ridge, one hill on the side of this valley, and the Philistines end up camped on the other ridge. And neither army wants to go into the valley because that would be to go to a place of weakness. And so they camped on one on Israelites on one side and the Philistines on the other. And they decide, I think the Philistines decided, this is how we're going to solve this battle. We will go champion v. champion. We will go one-on-one. -on -one. And of course, many battles in history have been fought and won that way. And so the Philistines send into the valley their champion, a man named Goliath. And he's a giant. And this giant issues 
a challenge. He's a machine. He's a war machine. And he issues this challenge. And he steps into the valley floor with his attendant, with heavy armor, and he begins to challenge the Israelites. And I thought we could start by just reading some of the verses that talk about this. We won't get a chance to read the whole of this story. And so I would encourage you, please, get your Bibles when you get at home or sometime this week and read the whole of this story. It's full of treasure. It's full of greatness. So I'm going to read verses 4 to 11 from 1 Samuel chapter 17. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp His height was six cubits and a span, three meters. I'm 1.8 meters. So imagine another 1.2 meters on top of me, nine feet. He's a huge guy. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale army of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. What does a shekel weigh? Well, 5,000 shekels weighs 58 kilograms. 128 pounds or nine stone. That was his armor. Weighed more than some people. Nine stone. On his legs, he wore bronze shin guards and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted, to the ranks of Israel. Why, why are you even bothering to come out and line up? Why do you come and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Now choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, we, you will become our subjects and servers. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. Can you feel the fear? Can you feel the intimidation? This huge war, like man, this fighting machine. And verse 11 says, On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Goliath didn't issue this challenge once. He actually issued this challenge twice a day for 40 days. And this challenge caused the Israelites to be afraid and intimidated. It caused the the Israelites to realize that the Philistines are ridiculing them. Why are you even bothering to line up? Why don't you send somebody? Where's Where's your champion? Why don't you come and fight? He was ridiculing them. And for 40 days, the Israelites were sick to the stomach. Have you ever felt sick to the stomach because of some challenges? But the worst thing was, for 40 days, no one stepped forward. For 40 days, an enemy comes and ridicules you. For 40 days, an enemy comes and challenges you. For 40 days, an enemy comes and says, come and and engage me in battle. And for 40 days, no one stepped forward. You know, giants are uh, a metaphor. Goliath was real. But they're also a metaphor for overwhelming situations, for great challenges that we face in our life. Jeannie and I have pastored our church, as Kirk said, for 32 years, and we've seen people face many challenges in their lives. We've even faced personal challenges ourselves. In 2017, I went to Rwanda, and 
I came back from Rwanda and I was sick immediately and people thought I, were having, I was having a heart attack and they took me into the hospital, but I wasn't having a heart attack. I'd picked up a, a disease in Rwanda and this disease attacked my heart and my heart failed, my liver failed, my kidneys failed. I was put on three machines keeping me alive. I had seven lines going into my neck. I had lines in other parts of my body. And four times in a 24-hour period, my wife was told he's going to die. He's not going to come through this by the consultants and the surgeons. Apparently, even once I was told, they, they said to me, Paul, you're going to fall asleep and you won't, you won't wake up. That's what's going to happen to you. I can't remember them saying that because I was enjoying the drugs too much in that moment, <laughs> let me say. But you know, for 32 years, we've faced our own challenges, but we've seen people face their challenges. And as pastors, we love people. And I always say no one loves the people more than I do. We've seen people face their giants, giants of change in life, giants of health challenge, giants of relationship struggles, giants of failure in life and depression or anxiety in life too. We've seen people face the giant of doubt that's crept into their life and money problems and unemployment issues, people facing all kinds of challenges in their life. But I want you and I to know this, that we will face challenges, but I believe that today God wants to encourage us to bring our boldest self to our biggest challenges. If this story of David tells us anything, is that the best way in a moment of challenge is if we can, is to bring our boldest self to our biggest challenge. You know, we all face challenges, and there'll be people in this room, and you're facing challenges right now. Maybe you're facing the biggest challenge of your life. I believe God wants to encourage you today to be bold and to be strong. You see, in this story, no one steps forward. No one's bold. No one's courageous. No one's filled with faith until David. And David is bold. He's courageous. His brothers thought he was, you know, reckless. But Saul saw something in David that made him say, yeah, go and fight this giant. I've asked the question many times, what did Saul see in David that made him say yes? Because there's a lot of stake. I mean, here's a fighting machine. And if the fighting machine Goliath beats this shepherd boy, David, then the whole nation comes under the authority of another nation. There's a lot at stake. What did Saul see in David that made him say, yes, you go? Because he's just a shepherd boy. He's just delivering sandwiches, cheese sandwiches, which are the best sandwiches ever, by the way. Cheese sandwiches to his brothers. He's not a champion like Goliath. He's not a warrior. He's not skilled in combat, in, in this kind of combat. But what he has got, he's got courage. He's got boldness. He's got confidence. And he's got the presence of God with him as well. And... I think Saul saw that in him, but Saul also had no other options. But I want to tell you that we've read this story as David is the underdog. This is the, the great giant killing, David and Goliath. It's the story of the underdog winning, isn't it? But I believe we've viewed this story wrong because I don't think in this moment David is the underdog. And it's not because God is with him. That would be too flippant to say that. Oh, of course, you're never the underdog because God's with you. No. He's not the underdog for some other reasons. Let's think about that. 
Back then, as now, there were three types of soldiers, three types of soldiers that would fight. First of all, you had cavalry. This would be horses and chariots. These were fast-moving, and armies 3,000 years ago had very few of these because they were expensive, but usually had some cavalry. Then there was also there was infantry, second type, foot soldiers, and they had armor and spears and swords. You had heavy infantry, people like Goliath, who were elite fighters. They had multiple weapons, just like Goliath. And they had full armor, tunics, scales, bronze shin guards, helmets, javelin swords, etc. Goliath had a short-range spear that had weights on it that he could release and thrust. And it was so powerful, it would go straight through a human being. Infantry. And then the third type was artillery. These are bows and arrows and slingers. And David was a slinger. Two strings with a pouch on, put in a stone, and fire, release one of the strings and fire the stone. And the Old Testament tells us that some of the Old Testament slingers were as accurate to within a hair's breadth. That's pretty accurate. If I pulled out a hair right now, you wouldn't be able to see it, but that's how accurate they are. History tells us that Irish slingers could hit a coin as far as they could see it. That's how accurate they were. And when David and slingers fired that sling, that stone would travel at 34 meters a second. That's like firing a 45 caliber gun in today's world. You see, infantry, foot soldiers with spears could stand up to cavalry. The horses would charge in, but the foot soldiers would take their place, take their stand, and they could fight up to cavalry. Cavalry could stand up to artillery. Cavalry, because they were swift, they were fast moving. The slingers couldn't be as accurate as they are at a still target because they're moving and they're moving quickly. But artillery, slingers, bows and arrows could stand up to infantry because they were slow and static. And David was artillery, a slinger, and Goliath was infantry. He was not the underdog. It's a little bit like rock, paper, scissors. I thought we'd have a game of rock, paper, scissors right now. Why don't you welcome Jimmy, who's going to come to the stage, and we're going to have a game of rock, paper, scissors. Come on, give it up for him. He's going to come. You see, I'm go- in this story right now, I'm Goliath, and this is David. You know, because I have never lost at this, apart from in the first service this morning. I've never lost But we are going to play. You see, if he chooses the right weapon, he will beat me. If he chooses the wrong weapon, I will win. I'm going to change one little law in the game, and it's this. He has half a second before he chooses his weapon. So we're going to go one, two, three. I'll choose my weapon, and he has half a second. So he should win 3-0, shouldn't he? You're Carolina Panther fans, so you're not sure. Okay, but he should win, all right? I just lost the whole crowd, Jimmy. Are you ready? Are you ready? One, two, three. Oh. Yeah, you got right. Shall I give him that one or shall I? What do you think? A tie. Okay, okay. Best of three. So it's nil-nil after one. Okay, are you ready? One, two, three. Yes. One-nil to Jimmy. Okay, best of three. I can pull it back. One, two, three. 
Oh, 2-0, come on, give it up. Fantastic. When David runs into that valley floor to meet Goliath, suddenly everybody's perspective changes. Suddenly they realize he can't lose. This is artillery against infantry. All he needs is to be able to see some part of Goliath's body, and he will fire that sling 34 meters a second, and he will hit the body. The Romans had to develop some tongs so that they could quickly pull stones out of bodies of people because they were facing slingers, and they were so powerful. Let me read you some more verses from 1 Samuel 17 when David gets ready to get into the valley floor and take it up with Goliath. The verses 45 to verse 48, it says this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. Can you feel his confidence? You know, when we were listening to Goliath, we were feeling the fear and we were feeling the imitation. But you know, faith has a feeling too. Confidence has a feeling too, and you can feel it right here. I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. And, I'll, and this very day... I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Don't you love that? The battle is the Lord's. Come on, let's say that together after three. One, two, three. The battle is the Lord's. You know, there's people sat near you going through some battles right now. Come on, let's encourage them. One, two, three. The battle is the Lord's. And he will give, David says, all of you into his hands. As David runs towards that giant, turning his sling at six to seven revolutions a second, no one thinks Goliath will win. David is quick, he's accurate, he's confident. The battle will be over in less than one second. What can Goliath do? Nothing. David hits Goliath, the giant is killed, the machine is destroyed. He removes his head, and the Philistines are chased out of the valley, and Jerusalem is saved. Because David brought his boldest self to his biggest challenge. So I'm asking the question, how can you and I bring our boldest self to our biggest challenge? And I want to suggest three things from this story. Here's the first thing. Don't fight by the enemy's rules. Number one, don't fight by the enemy's rules. At first, David is given Saul's armor because the only paradigm they've got for fighting this battle is hand-to-hand -hand combat, champion v. champion, in, in military armor, fighting with sword and spear. But David says, you come at me with sword and spear, that's not how I'm going to fight this battle. The giant Goliath is saying, come to me, come to me, come near to me. Because Goliath wants to fight on his terms. And when you and I face fear and feel fear, and face worry and feel worry, and when we're low on confidence, that's what our enemy wants. There is terms of engagement. That's where the enemy wants us. But you and I are going to stand up and we're going to say, we're not going to fight our battles on your terms. We're going to fight our battles on some different terms. 
Saul tries to give David his armor and says, you know, this is how we've got to fight. Go into the valley floor and take him on. But David says, I, you know, I can't. I can't wear this armor because I haven't proven this. In that moment, David is saying, I'm going to fight this battle the way I've always fought my battles. David's saying, this is how I fight my battles. Because David was a worshiper. David had some practices that had seen him through. David had some things that he had proven. He said, I can't wear the armor because I've not proven it. But he had proven some things. You see, a, a, a bear had come and a lion had come and snatched sheep from the fold. And he'd had to fight those battles. But he'd fought those battles as a worshiper, as a servant, as somebody who's willing, as somebody who trusted in God. He'd got these practices in his life that were proven. And he said, this is how I fight my battles. And this is how I'm going to defeat this Goliath. He comes against me with sword and spear, but I'm coming against him. Come on, let's praise God. I'm coming against him in the name of the Lord our God. You know, the enemy, when you're fighting your battle, he wants you to withdraw. He wants you to shrink back. But the scripture tells us that David ran into that valley floor, that he stepped forward. He was willing. No one had stepped forward for 40 days, twice a day. But when David comes, I'll go. His, I'll do it. I'm in. His boldest self to his biggest challenge. You know, the Bible tells us as well that when we're fighting an enemy, our friends are important. We heard that this morning. In that story, Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says this, He who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. I want to tell you that there's some friends in your life, their wisdom isn't good for you. They don't know how to fight your battle. But there's other friends and their wisdom, the wisdom that they'll give to you, the confidence they'll give to you, the actual instruction that they'll give to you, the encouragement that they'll give to you, the prayers that they will pray for you, that will fight, help you fight your battle. I loved it so much, you know, in 2017 when, uh, you know, I was in hospital, just being kept alive on a Sunday morning. I just got text after text after text from my church. I got text from other pastors saying, we're praying for you. We're praying in our church for you. And I just knew we're fighting this battle. And this is how we fight our battles. You know, this wisdom. And if you're in the midst of a challenge today, I want you to re reject the enemy's tactics. Reject the enemy's tactics. Reject. You might feel fear, but reject it. You might feel worry, but reject it. You might feel afraid, but actually reject it. You might feel scorn and shame, but reject it. You know, David had been the underdog when the lion and the bear came, but he wasn't the underdog when he faced Goliath because he'd proven God in those moments. And it's so important not to fight by the enemy's rules. So number one, don't fight by the enemy's rules. Number two, don't waste your test. I just mentioned that David had faced a lion and he'd faced a bear. And both stories tell us how the lion and the bear had actually grabbed sheep from the fold. And David gets these sheep back alive. And these were his tests. These were preparing him for, uh, for Goliath. They were preparing him for something greater. And there are things happening in your life right now that are preparing you for what God wants to do in your life. Israel, in the, whole, the Old Testament, is really always the underdog. They had been slaves for 400 years. 
Sometimes we can read the Old Testament and see Israel coming into the promised land and we think that they're a powerful nation. You know, we're almost like a superpower, but they're not. They're a bunch of slaves looking for a home. For 40 years, they've been in the wilderness. And in the wilderness every day, God gave them manna to eat. And you know what manna means, don't you? What's this? I mean, imagine being married for 40 years and every meal, you look at that meal that your spouse has cooked, whether that's your wife or your husband, and you go, what's this? I know in the first year of marriage, some of you experienced that for a whole year, you know, what's this? But we won't go there. That's a different talk. And so they weren't coming into Canaan as a superpower. They were coming into Canaan as a bunch of slaves. And in fact, the scripture tells us that God says, I chose you because you're the weakest of all peoples, not the strongest of all peoples. But you know, David fought this battle because he didn't waste his test. When he faced the lion, when he faced the bear, he had proven how he would fight his battles. You know, it's so often that many of us, when we face a challenge, and our biggest challenge is we're asking why. Why God? Why God? Why God? But I think there's a better question. And the question is, what God? What God are you doing right now? What are you preparing me for in the future? What is this moment going to produce in the days ahead? I think sometimes we pray prayers and we say, God, would you use me? God, would you move in me? God, would you reach people through me? And God, we sometimes don't hear the voice, but God says, do you mean it? And like I say, yeah, I, I mean it. And God says, okay, here's a lion. Here's a bear. And I'm thinking, oh, I didn't, I didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> but you know, don't waste your test. Don't, don't find yourself just constantly asking why. And we do ask why, and we don't understand why. But you can ask what. What God are you doing? Psalm 144 and verse 1, David, the same guy says, Praise be to the Lord, because it is he who trains my hands for battle. You see, David knew how to ask what. He knew that when the lion come, he knew when the bear comes, that God was training his hands so that one day when Goliath came and other enemies came, he'd be ready. Don't waste your test. Don't waste your moment. If you're in a test right now, what God? What do you want to do? Maximize the test. Don't waste it. I've got a quote from you from Joyce Meyer. That's okay. She said this, and I love it. If God puts a Goliath in front of you, he must believe there's a David inside of you. Come on, give it up. If God puts a Goliath in front of you, he believes there's a David inside of you. God is training us. He's equipping us. He's preparing us because he's going to use us. And I came to encourage somebody today who's going through a season of test in your life. Don't waste your test because this is a moment of preparation for more, the more that God has for you. And then finally, as I close, number three, how can we bring our boldest self to our biggest challenge? Speak your faith, not your fear. Speak your faith, not your fear. I, I love listening to David in this story. I love listening to his words because his view of God is incredible. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine, he says. In the midst of his biggest challenge, he knew that God was with him, that God was for him, and that God would guide him. And I want to ask you today, do you know that God is with you? 
and that God is for you and that God will guide you. I believe David knew that without a shadow of a doubt. And, and I would say today, I know that, but sometimes I've got a shadow of a doubt. And I think God wants us to be people who know that, you know, even with our shadow of doubt, we know God is with us. We know God is for us. That took me a long time to realize God is for me. And that God would guide me, whatever I'm facing, whatever the season, whatever the situation. God doesn't abandon me. God doesn't leave me. He's with me. He's for me. And he will guide me. That's why I believe that David could say, I'm trusting God's ways. I'm not putting on the armor. I'm trusting God's ways. That's why he could say in that verse we read, verse 47, the battle is the Lord's. You know, you can only say that when you know God's with you. You can only say that when you know God will guide you. you. You can only say that when you know God is for you. And David knew that. And I want you to know that today. And God wants you to know that today. In fact, if I could say it personally from God to you, I would say it like this. That God would say, I am with you. I am for you. I will guide you. Come on, somebody needs to hear it. I am with you. I am for you. I will guide you. David trusted God's ways. He relied on God. He relied on God's Spirit. And I want to encourage you as I close to rely on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you, actually, to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you. And I'm going to ask you to ask that every day. Can, can I say this? Can you make it a ritual? I, I know we don't like the word ritual, do we? So maybe if I use the word, could you make it a routine? That every day you say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Or you say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Something I do every day of my life. I make a confession and a prayer. My confession is, I am filled with the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is, God, fill me, please, today with your Spirit. You see, in, in kind of our type of churches sometimes, we've not liked the word ritual or routine. We kind of like encounter more, don't we? Nothing wrong with encounter. But we need to learn that rhythm is more powerful than encounter. An encounter has the power to change our rhythm. But if you have an encounter and it doesn't change your rhythm, it's powerless. I met people and they say, I met God and God did something incredible in my life. I had this encounter with God, but their life doesn't change. Powerless. But when you meet God and it changes your rhythm, your pattern, your routine, your stance, your confidence, that's when it's powerful. Rhythm is more powerful than encounter, but encounter has the power to change your rhythm. That's why we need an encounter with God. Because our rhythms sometimes about a sink with God. What if you and I could talk victory in the midst of our defeat? Imagine in the midst of our most difficult challenges if we could be bold. If we could declare that God is with us, that God is for me, that God could guide me. What if we could put the battle into God's hands? What if we could believe that God is preparing us in that moment? Back to when I was ill, I... Uh, they have a video of my heart, and a heart should move like this, but my heart is moving like this. It was functioning at 13%, and it's 
85-90% dark because it's damaged. They gave me a heart nurse for life because they say nobody recovers from that kind of damage. Well, about six, seven months later, they said, Paul, you don't need a heart nurse anymore. Your heart's recovering amazingly. One year later to the month, my consultant wrote to me. And my consultant said, Paul, your heart is functioning normally. He actually said to my face, Paul, your heart's functioning at 100%. When it was like that, it was 13%. 100%. I like to tell that story. You know why? Because I like to tell it and look at people's eyes and say, my heart's better than your heart. <laughs> but two weeks, I th- no, a week after they discharged me from hospital, sent me home for my heart to begin to recover at home. Uh, I I can't tell all the story, I haven't got time, but I couldn't read, I was was like, I was really in a mess and almost died, obviously. But they, they had me back in for an operation and I'm actually on the operating table and they're gonna open up some valves just to, you know, the heart is, they thought was just doing this and just try and get some blood flowing better and gonna open up, put some stuff in and, I'm on the operating table, and the consultant surgeon stands at the side of me. I've got these screens over my chest. He's looking at four TV screens. I can't see the TV screens because of these here. And he starts going, hmm, oh, hmm. At first, I thought he was speaking a different language, you know, maybe speaking in tongues or something. I don't know. But he, and, I, and then he comes, and he walks around to my head, and he said, well, that all looks fine. We'll take you back up to the ward, and I'll come and see you in about an hour and a half. I've got a few other things to do, and I'll come and see you. And he comes and sees me in an hour and a half, and I said, what was all that about? He said, well, I know. I said, I I was meant to operate on you today, but you don't need an operation. Everything's open. Everything's functioning. Your heart's healing. Your heart's pumping strong. I tell you that story because even in that moment, even when I'd got that video of 13% function and having to be kept alive, even when I saw that video of my heart really damaged and black, most of it black, I had a picture in my mind of a red, healthy, pumping heart. I saw my heart pumping like that. And I believed, I knew God was with me, I knew God was for me, but I believed that God could turn this back around. And today I don't have a consultant. They put me on some tablets. They said, well, now you're on these tablets, you'll have to take them for life. I don't take those tablets anymore. They took me off of them because I don't need you. I want to tell you today that God's with you. God's for you. And God's path for you might be different than his path for me, but God is still with you. God is still for you. You might find yourself on the operating table and they go in, but God is still with you. God is still for you and God will still guide you. So I wonder today, could we put the battle into his hands as we close this service? Could we believe that God is preparing us and that God is equipping us? Could we stand up bold today and say, I'm not going to shrink back in the face of, you know, my challenges, but I'm going to bring my boldest self to my biggest challenges. I wonder, could we do that today? We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to withdraw, but we're going to bring our boldest self to our biggest challenges. Come on, let's stand. I want to pray for us today.
Another confession I make every day of my life, and I want to encourage you, is this, I'm anointed for this. So I pray, Father, right now as I close, all across this room, from the front to the back, from side to side, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit in Jesus' name. We ask today. I pray for anybody that's facing healing right now in Jesus' name. And I just want to speak, be healed. Whatever you're facing in this moment, just reach out to God. Be healed right now. Believe for it. Believe that you walk out this place with wholeness and wellness. And make a declaration today that as you leave this place, I'm not going to fight by the enemy's rules. Amen? I'm not going to fight by the enemy's rules. I'm not going to waste my test. In this moment, I believe God is going to prepare me. And I'm of my circumstances because this is how I fight my battles. Thank you so much. It's been such a joy to be with you today. Amen. Beautiful. Hey, would you be seated again for just a few more moments? You know, um, in a room like this, I realize that there are different stages of where we're at in a relationship with Jesus. And uh, some of us have been at this for years and maybe decades, and some of us are just entering in. Some of us have uh, had a great relationship with God, but now find ourselves at a distance. And um, I love the message. I love the spirit of the message. I, I love that bold, confident, courageous thing that can happen in your life when you know your life is in the hands of God. And uh, I want to pray with you today. So I'm going to ask everybody around the room just to bow their head and close their eyes. And we're here to meet with, with God today. That's why we came to church. Father, I'm praying. Every person in this room is facing a challenge uh, of some kind. It, it's, it's their challenge. It's a challenge of uh, surrounding someone they love. And uh, we are so glad that we can come to you and we can open our hearts uh, to you and that you have promised that you would come in to our world and that it would make a difference just like it happened in David's life, just like it happened in Pastor Paul's life. God, we're believing for you to move mightily in our world. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, nobody's looking around, just a few more moments. Maybe you're in this room and you've never really surrendered to Jesus. You've just never said yes Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I'm, I'm not asking you to try to get your act together. I'm asking you, have you ever just surrendered your heart to this God who cares so much for you? Maybe you're here today and you used to be close to the Lord, but you know you're not where you want to be, where you know you could be, where you probably know you should be. Today would be a great day for you to come home. Or maybe you just don't have that sense of, confidence. My life is in God's hands. I want to pray with you. Nobody's looking around, but if you say, Pastor, pray with me. Uh, uh, pray with me. I, I, I want to surrender to Jesus. I, I want to come back. I want to know for sure that I'm right with God. Would you pray with me? I want you to lift your hand real high all over this room and say, that's me. God bless you, sir. Thank you. God bless you all over the room. Just lift your hand up real high. Just say, yes, that's me. Pray for me. I Pray with me. I, 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 I want to make that move. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, all over the room. Thank you so much just for opening your heart. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Come on. 
There's, there, there'd be no better uh, environment, no better place than this moment right now. Thank you, way over here. This, this is your moment. You might think, oh, I'll do it later. No, this is your moment. You're here right now. This is happening in your heart. I, I don't want you to miss your, your window. God bless you, sir. Come on, anybody else, just in all honesty, say, I, I, need, I want God in my life. I, I need God's help in my world. Is there anybody else? Amen. Thank you. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. It's just for everybody who lifted their hand, but I'd like for us all to pray this together. Everybody say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you in my world as my Lord. I know I've sinned, I've messed up, but I come to the cross where you have paid the price for my forgiveness. Today is a fresh start. It's a new beginning as I surrender to Jesus. Help me become the person you created me to be. Amen. Come on, let's thank the Lord.